that Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Hey everybody, welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. We want to thank you guys for coming out because this is one of, honestly, one of my favorite episodes that we get to do every year because it's October time, we start kind of getting into that fall season. Frankly, even though I'm not personally a pumpkin spice kind of a person, there's pumpkin spice everywhere for those who like that. It, it's a fun time, and I know Michael, you're you may be a pumpkin spice guy. What what are you these days? Hey, I'm I'm all about the pumpkin spice. You know, I was excited that this year Wendy's has uh, pumpkin spice uh, frosties. You oh, know, so I had to go word. out and try that. It was <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I have, so. I have not had that uh, urge, although I do love me a frosty here and there. So, anyway, for those who are also thinking <laughs> in terms of uh, perhaps the supernatural. Uh, looking at October, obviously, is one of those times. And we here at the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast are thinking similarly, actually. Um, this particular episode this month. Some ghostly thoughts. Yeah, some ghostly thoughts. We uh, we called this episode <laughs> A Ghost in the White Estate. Um, and and frankly, I, I like the title, but I like the actual conversation around this whole thing. Um, Michael, who are we looking at this month? Yeah, so big disclaimer, just before anybody like... Uh, uh, just takes that and runs with it that, uh, you know, we actually don't believe in ghosts, right? Right, Greg? No, not at all. I am not a, <laughs> but, I am not a secret seance person. No, not at all. No, no. But it's, it's fun when you're doing historical research, you discover new things. And, and uh, one of those things that just kind of doing a, a deep dive on recently is Eli Curtis, mm. who was this Millerite waiting for Jesus to come, really just excited and passionate about, about Christ's soon return, uh, and the, the, his story, his story, because it's intertwined with the pioneers, James and Ellen White and Joseph Bates, and, and yet uh, he will diverge and go a very different path. And that's kind of the, the story that we've been in the process of uncovering for this episode. Yeah, this, this is great. These are one of these uh, historical figures we don't know a ton about um, in mm-hmm. kind of digging around a little. There's been a few articles. Some bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Not a whole lot. There's no. But not a lot. No major Sometimes dissertation. It's not always as accurate as, as one might like. And, and that's because new sources come to light, new evidence and genealogical materials. In fact, uh, I was able to get in touch with for this research that I've been uncovering uh, two different branches of the descendants that uh, one had a picture. So that's kind of neat. We can put that in the show awesome. notes. So if you haven't seen that before, that's, that's kind of neat. Uh, and, and so there are uh, those kinds of details. And there were some kind of fuzzy details because there's more than one Eli Curtis in the 19th mm-hmm. century. And so people have at times maybe uh, confused those. So thanks to some genealogists and some descendants, we were able to kind of piece this together a little bit more uh, with more clarity. And that's kind of, that's the fun of doing research is we're always building on the work of those who've gone before and discovering new things. And, and that's, that's the fun of research. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just dive right into this guy, uh, knowing a little Absolutely. bit about him and learning more about him as we go. Who's Eli mm-hmm. Curtis, uh, as the Millerite and, and what, what's his, his impact on the early Adventist story? Sure. So Eli Curtis was born May 21, 1793 in Weston, Connecticut. 
and with his family very early on when he's young we don't have a lot of details of his early life he he moves west to michigan he gets married and they have children and uh, at some point he discovers the good news about christ in return and he's so excited about that that uh, he will go out to new york city and be part with uh, the group of believers in New York City. Uh, Joshua Himes at one point will go down and visit those believers and be a catalyst for starting a, a periodical called the Midnight Cry, which is kind of circulated in mass today. We have social media for that. Back then they had newspapers. Mm. And so there would be literally hundreds of thousands of copies of this that were just being disseminated. So he was core to that kind of publishing enterprise in New York. And there were uh, several others that were kind of in that that New York uh, group of, of New York City group of Adventists. And uh, he'll stay there after the disappointment uh, for a time as well. And it's in that post-disappointment flux in that kind of where some people give up their faith, other people uh, will, you know, return to their churches, others just give, out, uh, give up religion altogether. But he will be one of those who we call the bridegroom Adventists. And, and what that means, it's referring to Matthew 25, you know, the, the parable, yeah, yeah. the 10 virgins. 10 virgins of parable, yep. Mm-hmm. And, and Samuel Snow, who showed up right before the, you know, in the summer of 1844. I was going to say, he's the guy who really gave us the October 22 date as any, you know, sure solid the, thing. The, sometimes called the seventh month movement, uh-huh, whatever, uh-huh. you know, the validity of Bible prophecy. So he's he's kind of one of those guys that is, and, and after the disappointment, continues in his faith. He's just passionate about, and, and, um, and so he'll be uh, printing even after they stop the, you know, some of the activities in New York, he will continue his his passion about sharing Christ and some, some of his new beliefs. He, he will be one of those that will percolate around with uh, Samuel Snow, as already mentioned, um, but this, this doctrine, this new idea of the sanctuary, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the shut door, meaning the validity of the prophecy and the, the parable, the, the uh, sanctuary being in heaven, not this earth. And, is he, is and he interacting with Chrysler? Sabbath. Chrysler in any of that, or is he just kind of um, kind of reading through with the, the newspapers and kind of contributing. Oh, you're thinking of like sanctuary uh, stuff uh, and some of the other. Yeah. So Western New York, I, I, you know, because he's interacting with snow, it'd be, it seems it would be surprising if he wasn't. Okay. I mean, he obviously with, with, um, uh, uh, Crozier, right. Yeah. Crozier and, and Hiram Edson and Dr. F.B. Hahn. Mm-hmm. So they're certainly in that, trajectory in that group. They're in Western New York, so a little bit of, of a distance, but he does intersect very much so with snow. And that's the one that that really catches the attention because we, again, we can only go by what historical sources we have, right? Yeah. And so there was a, um, we have a couple copies of, of his um, of his periodical. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. And by the way, those are at the American Antiquarian Society, but there were some copies at the White Estate, so hence, you know, why the our, our title for today, what we're finding in some of the archives. He's, he's haunting still. <laughs> he's haunting still his, his ideas, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about today. And so uh, but Curtis will be engaging with this. He's not so sure about Snow because Snow will actually say he's Elijah the prophet. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and at one point he sees him and, and Snow, he notes, is really annoyed with two groups of people. Those that are the spiritualizers, spiritualizers spiritualizing the second advent. And then those who 
are trying to keep all of God's commandments and washing feet, right? Mm -hmm. So there's another group, and it's interesting, connects that foot washing and the, the commandment keeping, um, presumably Sabbatarianism, which he's a Sabbatarian, mm -hmm. or becomes one at least. And and so clearly he's he's feeling a little bit um, at the margins. He's not jiving with, with where snow is going. But this kind of sets the stage for kind of the the rest of the conversation of what what's going on but but it's interesting this this is these are important important ideas that are developing in this kind of very formative phase of Sabbatarian Adventist theology in the in the 1840s okay and he's putting himself in there now is he is he interacting much with Ellen White or like he's starting his own publication how's he how's he working with that yeah, so he he is he is, and this brings you know to the periodical that I alluded to earlier, the Girdle of Truth. Mm -hmm. What what a name, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and there's not very many copies. There's one copy at the Center for Adventist Research. Of, okay. And I think there's a page of one that's missing. Maybe maybe there'll be some other copies that will turn up. Who knows? Maybe some of our listeners will will find one in, in some attic somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but but then uh, and there's also um, some copies of uh, I think there's. Uh, Four, as I recall, they're at the American Antiquarian Society up in Massachusetts. Nice. Um, and based on those, we know that he was uh, reprinting some of Ellen White's visions. In fact, we first know and, and catch a glimpse of this because he will write about how uh, he comes across. It's actually in this little PS that he had met a basically a couple in allusion to these um you know, the dreams and visions, right? And so, and then the next thing you know, he's he's actually printing some of Ellen White's visions. So it seems pretty clear there's a connection with, with James and Ellen White very early on. And he's uh, publishing or printing some of these visions in his uh, periodical. And, and this raised the question because at some point he's obviously intersecting. He's, he's very excited about the Sabbath, the sanctuary, even the gift of prophecy. Um, but at, at, at some point here, they will part company. And that's kind of the, the more uh, <laughs> intriguing, ghostly mm -hmm. part of our story. <laughs> yeah, because there's this haunting part. There's this letter where she's obviously getting uh, the, the couple of quotes, and that's usually the only place mm -hmm. you find Eli Curtis is in this letter mm -hmm. that she's interacting with him on, right? Yeah. What, what, uh, what was the letter writing back? Because that's, that's clearly Ellen's main... Uh, focus is, is how she's handling him later on. Absolutely. So um, as I mentioned in 1847, the two communications, right? So, and he's reprinting those. So what, what started doing is, is to actually look at this line by line. And again, it's, it's always fun when you realize, Hey, you're not the only one that's kind of noticed this. Um, so shout out to a friend of mine, Adventist pastor, uh, researcher extraordinaire uh, Kevin Morgan. So he found the same thing that I found, and that is is that um, basically he will reprint um, Ellen White's visions uh, verbatim, except at one point he'll give a brief explanation about the crown on Jesus's head being a crown within a crown, and and, and noting that also he will leave out two that this version. There will be later versions that leave out two different things. One is the holy kiss, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine why those things get edited a little bit later on. But there doesn't seem to be any kind of malicious intent. And, and so Ellen White's saying, stop publishing my vision. It's not like he's messing up, you know, and, and, and tweaking or yeah. somehow, you know, changing or altering her visions. It's, it's that doesn't not content seem to be the based. issue. Yeah, right. Correct. Correct. Uh, but in doing some research, here's where we found the ghost in the white estate. <laughs> this is a copy of this tract 
by Eli Curtis, titled A Wonderful Phenomena, Wonders of the Age, a thrilling narrative of the facts relating to the Dixboro Ghost. Dixborough now, I know you're doing a little Dixboro yeah. Ghost. I know you're doing some sleuthing on this one, Greg. Who, what? What's this Dixborough ghost all about? Well, and the Dixborough ghost is is a fascinating background story because it's also part <laughs> of the major uh, movement in the early early nineteenth mid nineteenth century uh, world called spiritualism, and and mm-hmm. spiritualism is a major player uh, throughout a lot of the early Adventist periodicals. It's kind of the uh, consistent bugaboo in the background. You know, a lot of a lot of Adventist ministers are dealing with the spiritualists or they're debating or they're just writing books against the whole idea. And the spiritualists movement is one that basically focuses in on the ability to communicate with dead people or to, with spirits who have yeah. moved on. And the Dixboro ghost is one of these stories that a lot of spiritualists really kind of honed in on. And it's coming from that Michigan territory where uh, Curtis has got some background. My understanding is that the ghost was the ghost of an old lady who died under mysterious circumstances and the people moving into this home started experiencing strange phenomena. This is one night uh, a light was shining from from the fellow's uh, front kitchen and he opens the door to the kitchen to see this this old lady sitting at a chair in the middle of his kitchen and she's babbling on about something and he comes up to her and she looks at him and disappears and five or six different times you know this ghost appears and shows him a oh. little bit of a story you know and eventually the idea was that she she replays part of her own last moments showing that she was murdered by these people and you know she's, she's trying to tell someone about it um and that's kind of the background of the dixborough ghost it was one that isn't just like written by a person there's multiple people yeah. who went to the authorities and said here's our version of events we saw this this happened like the whole story is fairly well documented um from multiple sources so that's that's kind of the dixborough ghost background of things anyway how, how did Curtis... It was kind of like a thing, right? Yeah, it's it was a thing. A thing. And, and people knew about it. It was well-known. It was well-publicized. So so yeah, where's Curtis it, coming it, in on this thing? Well, he, he shifts course, you know, and I think this shouldn't surprise us too much. If you believe in divine revelations, but you start shifting away, you know, and by the way, the spiritualism they're talking about is a spiritualism that is reinterpreting the Bible. So they're seeing biblical figures and everything mm. else. So it's not like they're against the Bible. They actually, it's like a, it's a biblical spiritualism, but that particular manifestation of, of shall we say, modern uh, spiritualism, this kind of thing. Uh, we think of the Fox sisters and everything mm-hmm. else. If you read like Great Controversy and everything else, Ellen White is emphatic and unequivocal that this is the work of Satan. And so she sees this as a counterfeit very clearly. And so this is not the path to head down. So she sees this sort of a, and, and this is why she's so strong saying, you know, stop publishing or printing my my visions because she does not want to be associated with spiritualism mm. in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So this isn't so much about content of the visions. It's actually about mm-hmm. reputation. She doesn't want yeah. to be connected with somebody who is publishing and putting these kind of things out there. Yeah, huh. right. Interesting. So Eli, Eli is getting wrapped up in this, and he's not totally alone. I mean, we've got other Adventist nope. luminaries like Moses Hull, who also, of course, later yeah, on, yeah, got mm-hmm. got wrapped up in spiritualism. He's not out of the norm in some ways, but but what what goes on with him? How where does he go from here? <laughs> well, he does head back to Michigan, and of course, he's in, into this starts a periodical 
the millennial messenger and so he's kind of he's very passionate about his uh, spiritualist uh, views and at one point curiously in 1870 he'll take his retirement savings and he will head down to uh, Chauncey Ohio where he purchases a property that's well known at that time for spiritualist manifestations mm. it's called the Coons Spirit House so just kind of like the Dixborough Ghost another one of these like spots that are supposed to be more in touch with the supernatural right. he buys a haunted he house will, right <laughs> basically yeah and, and so he's starting a, a commune uh, of course 19th century is all about uh, not all about but but this is the heyday of a number of uh, communitarian um, utopian societies uh, and exactly yeah. experiments you know you think of the shakers and a bunch of these other different groups right so this is very in vogue with with that time and uh, he he believes that there he'd been commissioned by a spirit who had signed the sacred name of Jesus of Nazareth to come to Ohio and to locate this on this piece of property okay. where they would build the city of the new Jerusalem <laughs> well that's a pretty big mandate it is. Uh, he calls it the Morning Star Colony, and they will build a tabernacle and a knoll that they will dub Mount Nebo, and they will try to reconstruct King Solomon's temple as an eight-sided structure uh, <laughs> with a window on each side and a couple on top. And this 60-foot tabernacle was supposed to be completed by Christmas 1871, but tragically, tragically, that year um, – he had like his whole life savings. I think it was like $6,000 or something, mm. and it got stolen. And we, the reason we know that there's advertisements, you know, reward if, if, if you'll help solve the, the riddle, the mystery of all this, this, this huge amount of money. Now, to give it some perspective, he bought that farm, the property, five acres, this spiritualist utopian thing for $257.50. So you get an idea that $6,000 yeah. is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and he never recovers it. Uh, at least not that we know of, and he and his wife tragically will both later die. And mm. so, uh, and and when that happens, of course, it just all falls apart. Yeah, it falls apart. So, so, so as a figure, he's not quite a cult leader, but he's definitely got no. this this idea that I'm going to start this this community and I'm going to use it to focus right. in on the spirits who are guiding this whole process. And uh, to me, it's fascinating that you can go from one extreme. Millerism and second coming and and the, and then wind up on a on the other side of it and I'm and I'm curious you know to me there's psychology in this what do you think pulls sure. a, an Eli Curtis from preaching the second coming to preaching this utopian spirit led endeavor to rebuild Solomon's temple I almost wonder if it maybe it shouldn't surprise us right, right. because people are part of their culture their milieu their times. And there was a lot of fluidity of ideas between different groups and stuff like that. And so uh, an experimentation that's going on. And so obviously to experiment with you know, dreams and visions with Ellen White, you know, and to reprint her visions means a certain openness to the supernatural. Uh, but, but like a lot of things, there's um, a lot of gravitational pull in different directions. And so um, you can see how early Sabbatarian Adventists will form the nucleus into a denomination. Eli Curtis, he's really close. Mm. He's really close. But it's amazing how uh, a, a few little things can change that trajectory and he goes into just a completely different uh, direction. And and he's not the only one, as you pointed out, uh, which means, again, there's there's a lot of fluidity of ideas uh, and a lot of openness, a, a period of creativity, and, and certainly that's that's what's going on here. Mm. Yeah, one of these days I, I, I want to – jump back into a Moses Hull episode because there's some great connections there with uh, uh, 
family members actually coming from Josephine Cunnington Edwards and some other people who've got some connections to him, but a story for another time, right? Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some good stuff. Tantalize our listeners here. <laughs> I found a Mount Moses Hole pamphlet I'd never seen before oh. until just today doing some research in the archives. Hey, so I want to see a copy of that. All kinds of fun stuff. That sounds great. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you think Eli Curtis's legacy is? I mean, obviously we've got this, this connecting points. We've been finding some new stuff. Uh, what, what do you think in the end beyond his unfortunate ending, um, his yeah. impact on Adventism could be quantified as? There's a lot of these kind of liminal figures, you know, that uh, you have the Millerite greats like Miller and Himes. But we tend to not talk about some of these B-roll figures or, you know, lesser known that they played a very significant role all the same. And so uh, I think part of, of kind of getting to moving to a, a more uh, sophisticated view of, of our Adventist past and Millerism and the, is, is catching some of these broader kind of strands of some of these other individuals who brought a lot of character and personality to the to the Millerite movement. And and maybe because they didn't become Seventh-day Adventists, we tend to not uh, tell those stories as much. We don't tell, we tend to tell the success stories, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about Joseph Bates and James White. Uh, we don't talk about the Eli Curtises, but he was part of that story, uh, part of that creativity, part of the the formation of early Sabbatarian Adventists and this discussion of ideas about foot washing and theology of the sanctuary. He writes some very significant articles that are important and play a pivotal role. Even if we don't adopt all his ideas, they are part of that conversation out of which those ideas did develop. And so uh, he remains a very pivotal, formative character, um, even if, again, not, not well-known and in the in the spotlight and the limelight, but he's still an uh, important part. And, and you need to, t- you know, we need to understand uh, that story. And yes, it has a little bit of a tragic ending, not the ending that maybe perhaps we'd like, but that's what we do with history. We tell the history we find, not the history we would <laughs> like to find. And hopefully we celebrate the good things and we hopefully can also learn from some of those challenges as well. Mm. So the haunting of, of Eli Curtis, if you please. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I, I like how you said that, that we learn from these figures as much as anything. Um, yes. it, it does help put ourselves into context, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also helps me think about the Adventism of today. Um, even seeing in our own culture and our own times, the Adventist world is pretty diverse, you know, looking across the it globe, uh, looking at the different ways it's impacted the cultures. We're not all in that same exact vein, but we're all part of a diverse uh, group waiting for the second coming. So I, I, I like that. It's it, it adds some in. It reminds me a little of Hiram Edson, who we just talked about a couple episodes ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Yeah. Like you said, a secondary figure that's got a major impact for a time and then kind of falls out of favor in some ways, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. That's great. Well, yeah. I, I love this Eli Curtis conversation. I think there's some really cool stuff that's attached to him. Um, I would I would be interested to see how the sanctuary doctrine is developed or is impacted uh, through some of his other articles. Um, but obviously a discussion for a different time on that one. The Yeah, and who knows, maybe we'll find more. You right. know, I know there were more issues of his periodical. We just don't have copies of them, or at least none that I found. Yeah, and 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 I'm not close enough to some of those great places like the Antiquarian Society uh, to poke around on. So if other people are, or if you're in an area where you may have heard about Curtis, uh, tell me a little bit um, perhaps about the ancestors that you bumped into, Michael, uh, some of those folks. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one was a group of descendants who... 
uh, or on you know genealogists and so they're doing their family genealogy so I was able to engage and interact with them and clarify some dates and make sure I was tracking down the right person right mm. and then the second one was a was a descendant who the daughter one of the one of his children became later became uh, at some point a Seventh-day Adventist mm. and there are descendants in the Seventh-day Adventist church today uh, I know because I met them <laughs> and have corresponded with them uh, but earlier this year, I just happened to to bump into them in the course of uh, some of my uh, travels for uh, for ministry and so on. And and so that was a delight to have those paths to be able to intersect like that. And so uh, it's fun because, uh, you know, at the very end of his life, there's some uh, confusion because there's different dates for when he died. But then I was able to sort out there's a date that sometimes is attributed as his death date, but it's really his burial date because he dies in Ohio, but they bring his body back mm. to the family farm, family where all the family had been or is buried in that cemetery. So that, that's why there was a little bit of confusion as well as there's, you know, there's sometimes more than one person with that name. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure you get the right one. <laughs> right, right. And that's, and that is part of just ferreting out. That's, I honestly have to say, for people who may not like having to dig around, that's that is part of the historical mo- moment is figuring out all these mm-hmm. extra little details because otherwise we're chasing yeah. rabbits that don't go down the right hole, right? Yeah, and and again, this is where we build on the research of others. We we, we find where how far they've been able to go and new evidence that shows itself, and you're able to continue pushing that on a little bit. And I suspect, Greg, some will come along further and and find some more of those missing issues, and they'll be able to tweak what we understand now and that's that's a great part of that quest for understanding nice nice well i love it i love how much you've been able to pull up on this one michael thanks for bringing some of that new research up um and again like we always do anybody out there if you know of stuff that is related to eli curtis or frankly any adventist uh stuff or ephemera that's floating out there we would love to hear about it and to get in contact so reach out to us through all of the normal outlets here with the adventist pilgrimage well, folks, thank you again. Uh, appreciate you giving us a listen here and uh, seeing a little bit about the uh, uh, the supernatural moments in Adventist history, um, which we all uh, kind of think about at this point in time. Thank you again for listening. We've got some new stuff coming up next month. Um, October is always a busy month for Adventist historians because we have a lot of stuff happening around October 22nd. So uh, That's true. We're, I'll be out to see you. Yeah, going to be coming out here. We'll probably be able to do an episode live together here for the next one. We should do it. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be looking forward to that one. Topic to be disclosed. We've got a few different options there. Um, highly that. classified. Highly classified. <laughs> Cannot let the cat out of the bag at this point. But That's we'd love right. to have you all join us for that one. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law.